you like NASCAR? Do you like a tribe called Quest? Well, you're going to love the urban conservative. Do you like manwich and nachos? Well, then you'd love the urban conservative. Do you like guns? Do you like butter? Well, you're going to love the urban conservative. Yo, what's good, son? You like pit bulls, say? You like solving Sudoku puzzles? Then you're going to love the urban conservative. Hey, buddy, if your car making a sound like this, you might want to get you some power steering fluid and check out the Urban Conservative Podcast. Are you repulsed by the idea of drag queen story time at your local library, but enjoy Carol Baskin TikTok memes? Then you would enjoy the Urban Conservative. Do you want to slap your boss and then go home and make yourself some golden brown pancakes covered in butter and freshly made warm boysenberry syrup? Then you'll love the Urban Conservative. You're a little over Cardi B. And you're repulsed by the thought of Hogmaw. Check out the Urban Conservative. Are you ready? <laughs> All right, peace and love, everybody. You tuned into the Urban Conservative Podcast from my twin brother, Dual Ali, this Raheem Architect Soto. Let me get on camera. I'm off camera like like I'm low-key hiding or something. I don't, I don't know what that's about. But, uh, yeah, let's let's just get this going like this, like this, like, like this, like that. Yeah, so I hope everybody's good. Do us a favor. Uh, share the content. Go ahead. We really appreciate that. Give us a, a little share, a little like action, follow, subscribe on all social media. Um, like I keep telling you guys, and Ali's been saying it and mentioning it, we're transitioning off of this corporate media, off of these large uh, social media platforms. We have our own website, tuconservative.com. Head over there, get a membership. We have our own community. We have our own blog that's open to you to post and share uh, news and, and your own information and things that you got going on. Head over to TUConservative.com. Give us a, a like, follow, all that good stuff over there. Uh, also, behind the paywall, there's exclusive content. It's to, like I said, $10 for the year. There's some exclusive content. Um, a very, very well manicured, uh, well, well, uh, what's the word here I'm looking for? Curated blog, uh, news feed there. So head over to the website. Do us that favor real quick before we get started with today's show. I also... I want to remind everybody to go check out Think Before You Vote, tbyvote.org. Shouts out to the whole team at tbyvote doing some wonderful things as far as voter education, voter advocacy, and things of that nature, uh, trying to get more and more people involved in the political process, which is our civic duty to do so. So shouts out to all the folks over at tbyvote.org. Make sure to go over there and check them out. So I'm trying to kill some time because I'm waiting for Ali to jump in. He's on the road. But. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get the conversation started because uh, the person that we're going to be, we're going to be talking with Professor Nicholas Giordano today. Before I bring him on, shouts out to the whole Suffolk County GOP. They got some events coming up. Um, they're doing a victory lap run, uh, victory tour. So the next date that they have coming up, 
is the Piedmont. Make sure to go to SuffolkCountyGOP.com. Sign up to the site if you're a Republican. Um, get involved. Find out what's going on over there. But you cannot get tickets at the door for the Piedmont February 16th, 6 through 8 p.m. So if you want to get more information on that, head over to SuffolkCountyGOP.com. So I'm all done with shout outs, right? Uh, let's get into this conversation. I'm going to bring on Professor Nicholas Giordano, host of the PAS Report, friend of the show. There he is, Professor Giordano. How's it going, sir? It's going well. How are you? I can't complain, man. I, I tend not to complain because like, I feel like nobody really cares when I complain. You know? They don't. I, I guess I'm not a good complainer. You know <laughs> what I mean? I need to brush up on my complainer skills, maybe. Well, I hear complaining all day from a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. So Yeah, right? I, get, I'm used to it by now. Want, and they get what they want. So Sometimes. Uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, and, and I want to give you a, a shout-out, too, as well, for uh, I'm watching Newsmax or NTD. I'm watching one of the uh, the news at hand. I'm laying in the bed, and I hear you talking, and I'm like, what? What what's going on here? So, uh, you know, I don't know. Is that a, is there a congrats in order for something like that for a news placement like that? Is that a congrats? Sure, thing? why not? Yeah, well, it's always it's a, always nice to say congrats. Yeah, well, congratulations on that appearance. Uh, I I saw it, uh, and and you were very articulate on there. They should they should bring you back on more often. Um, there's some weirdos on some of these channels that they give like the talking head to what, what do we got to do to get you like a, a show some, some of the people are mind-boggling that appear but it is what it is it's the industry yeah yeah i guess i guess so so um i kind of wanted to approach this conversation about the the administration and what we can kind of when i say look forward to there's kind of three two or three areas that i wanted to get your take on um with the new administration and and one of those ways is from kind of like social slash political context, uh, because there's a couple of things I'm going to ask you about. And, and just to get right into it, uh, the effects of this, uh, the, the executive order with this whole transgender in the military thing. So I pulled up the executive order. And for those who didn't see it, let me share the screen. And then I'm going to get your take on this here, because uh, this blew my mind how many times the word transgender is in this order, right? So... There's the order, okay, from the WhiteHouse.gov. So, so what's your take on this? Is this dangerous? Uh, does this set a weird kind of precedent? Was this necessary? Um, Biden needing to put this executive order in, because uh, like I said, the words transgender appears sixteen times. Like, moreover, and and before you go, my my real core question is: Is this? playing a word game. Moreover, there's substantial evidence that allowing transgender individuals to serve in the military does not have any meaningful negative impact on the armed forces. But then a couple of sentences down, that open service had no significant impact. So they, so what, what's your take on this? Like, where, <laughs> where are we going with this? Like, what is this? Well, it's, it's actually the whole transgender thing with these executive orders, because this isn't the only one he did. He also did the girls sports one. And it's mind boggling. Like this isn't like the most pressing issue in the United States right now. I mean, right now we're dealing with the coronavirus. We're dealing with economic devastation. And to tackle these issues first is just it's just plain weird. It's something I would never advise him to do. As far as this executive order, a specific one, you said that the the executive order said no significant impact, meaning that there is an impact, 
They just don't find it significant. Um, I'm someone of the mindset. I, I don't mind who wants to serve the country. If anyone wants to fight and die for this country, I'm all for it. And when you're over the age of 18, you you get to do you. You get to join the military. And if you want to become a transgendered person, that's fine too. I will say, though, uh, I want full psych evaluations. I want to make sure that they're not using the military as a means to get sur transitioning surgery. I mean, and, and that's what we have to watch out for because what people don't understand is it's very costly to do a little snipping here and there and putting in new parts and whatnot and the hormone treatments that go into it. And so a lot of people will go and get these government public sector jobs so that the health insurance companies pay for it and they don't have to pay these enormous out-of-pocket costs. I want people that are serving our military that are willing to fight and die for the country, not use the military as a means to change their gender. So I think that if someone had already transitioned and they psychologically they go through all the evaluations and everything's good and they want to join that's fine i think that if someone hasn't transitioned yet i find that to be a problem because i feel that that's a case where it may be used the person may be using the military as a means to get transitioning done so is that and, and is that you think that'll be prevalent like the the, the, the abuse of that because i don't know i don't even know like, I mean, I that's the thing. We're talking about 0.0001% of society, and I don't know how many of them are really, you know, want to be Rambos and go join the military. So it's not like this is going to be like this massive widespread issue, and then tomorrow all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, 100,000 transgender recruits trying to get in the military. Our population doesn't have that many transgender people in it. And, but that's why it's mind-boggling. Why would you go with these executive orders first? Why would so you why, do this? Why do you think that is? Was that a, a quick appeasement? for the for the radical base that he's that he had like was what what do you what what do you attribute that to because if if we're trying to make sense of this right how maybe that answer will help us make sense of it well it appears that today the loudest voices are the ones that are controlling everything they're, they're the minority in the country as far as opinion goes but they're the ones controlling everything and they're the ones that are directing all policy that's what it appears i mean if you look at every single one of the executive orders that were signed with the exception of a handful they are all radical left. Not one of them is designed to strengthen and make the United States a stronger place. They don't benefit the American people in any way, and they don't make sense. So part of it is simply because he's appealing to the far left of the base, the leftists and the radicals. The other part of it is he's trying to undo everything President Trump did. Um, and that's you know one of those things where you see the hatred driving Democrats at this point. It's their hatred for the president, the hatred for the president's supporters that are driving their policies rather than taking a deep breath, take a step back, take a deep breath and say, did President Trump's policies make sense and evaluate whether or not the executive order should undo his executive orders? So so one more kind of question on this on this here, because the thing to me was was really the sports and where are we at as a country where we've gotten to the point that like boys and girls aren't enough like to have boys sports and then girls sports it was like a push it was like we want girls on the boys team and i was just like wait why who who's the bully that goes like i want to play on the boys team why because yeah. i want to but why it's a boys team there's a girls team so so what was what are we doing here with the sports? Because I'm kind of confused as to exist. So you mean to tell me if if a person identifies, because there's a lot of talk back and forth, 
if all I have to do is identify as this gender and now I can, if I'm an 18 year old kid, I can go now play female sports. Is that about right? You could be younger than that and play female sports. And I'm waiting for the feminists to come out and actually start screaming about this because this is really a, a big problem. First of all, you know, the Democrats love to say you have to believe in science. You have to believe in science. Well, basic biology tells us that there's two genders. There's males and females. Biology also tells us that there are differences between males and females, not just between, uh, you know, the human anatomy parts, but there men are phys more physical. We're bigger. We're stronger. In a lot of cases, we could be faster. And so when men identify as women and they go into girls sports, they're usually going to dominate those sports because physically they're just more dominant than females. And, and so it really does a disservice to all the young girls out there, especially the ones that put in the time and the effort and they practice every day, because now what's going to happen with scholarships when they go to college that they may have been depending on what's going to happen with the accolades. I mean, if I'm someone that was training every day, and only to get beat by someone that probably shouldn't be in the league in the first place. I'm going to be upset about that. I'm not going to lie. I think it's completely ridiculous. I think what's worse, though, is like the parents that push this and encourage it. That, that to me, is like a form of child abuse, and I've said it before. Listen, if anyone's over the age of 18, I could care less what the hell you do with your body. I could care less if you want to transition. That's all on you. But the parents that push like, you know, six-year-olds, well, I'm not going to tell them what the gender is and they could figure out the gender for themselves. And you have parents that are encouraging their kids to take these hormones to change their sex at the age of nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Like where the hell is, is the normalcy in our society? I mean, my kid can't walk into a tattoo parlor and get a tattoo without my consent, but yet they could change their gender. I can't leave my kid in the, alone in the car at 7-Eleven when I run him for a cup of coffee. I'll get arrested for that. But yet if I take the kid to transition at the age of 11 years old, oh, no problem with that. It, it's completely ridiculous. And how bad are we going to be screwing up kids? Because what happens uh, kid 11 years old? All right, he may identify as a different gender. What happens when they're 18? They're like, wow, I really didn't, shouldn't have done that. What happens then? And if you look at the psychological issues, there is a lot of mental health questions involved in the whole transitioning process. So it's something that I really find, um, I find it almost abusive when parents push this on their kids. And I think that when you're 18 and older and you can make your own decisions, that's one thing. But anything under the younger than the age of 18, we got to stop this nonsense. Yeah, I, I have a hard time understanding. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where as a parent, I'm like, what, what need do you have to introduce uh, any of the, the conversation outside of the necessary biology to protect your children, right? You teach them about their private places and, you know, where things are located, you know, no one touches you here kind of thing, you know, outside of being safe and practicing your, uh, let's call it social safety, right? Because they're in school environments. Outside of that, you we shouldn't be having these conversations like these are nothing. And what I mean by having these conversations, it's like you shouldn't be talking to a six year old about whether they think they're a boy or a girl. That's probably like the wildest. I, I can't. What type of parent does that? Like, yo, I, you, like I, I can't wrap my brain around that. Like, I don't well, know anybody who would do that. Uh, well, that's the challenge that we're facing this weird day and age that we're living in. Listen, I, ha I have students that have been trans in my classrooms and they say, I want to, you to call me this and I, I identify as this and I have no problem with that because they're adults. They can make their own decision. 
But what are we doing to the kids of today? And how bad are we confusing the kids of today? You know, I had to have a conversation with my son about this whole issue because he heard it on the media and kids were talking about it at school. So I'd have a whole conversation with a 10 year old that can't fully understand or grasp the idea of transgender issues. And basically, I just had to tell him, you know, you just treat everyone with respect and dignity. That's the most important thing. It doesn't matter who they are, what they want to be or anything. You treat people with respect and dignity until they prove otherwise. Um, but it's really difficult as a parent to try and explain these things to kids and it confuses kids. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Professor Nicholas Giordano, host of the PAS Report. Please go over, check out, check out all his stuff. Hit us up, www.tuconservative.com. Join the website. Do us that favor. Like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, I kind of want to transition into one other thing really quick. Uh, this HR 127, I don't know if you're following it um, with this, with the whole uh, ammunitions and providing licensing. Let me just show everybody what this is. Um, now, to me, this was a bit strange um, because... Not to say I didn't understand it, but to provide for the licensing of firearm and ammunition possession and the registration of firearms and to prohibit the possession of certain ammunition. So is this the introduction of, in your opinion, or, or to, to, to how you see it, is this 127 like the introduction to trying to uh, uh, get rid of these Second Amendment rights? Because that's that's generally what I'm hearing. And, and you know, I, I'm. I'm not to say like a gun enthusiast. I believe in pe people should be able to own whatever guns they want to own, right? I'm not a gun enthusiast. So it's not to say I'm not into it like that, but I don't feel the effect of it. But is, do you think this is an attempt to try to get at those Second Amendment rights and get the guns out of uh, citizens' hands? If you look at a lot of the bills that have been proposed in the House of Representatives, I think that there's like the complete dismantling of the United States Constitution, not just H.R. 127. I think almost every bill that's been proposed dismantles the Constitution and our rights in one form or fashion. Am I concerned? I would, I would say, am I concerned about H.R. 127 passing? And the answer is no. What I am much more concerned about is the executive orders that are going to be coming out as it pertains to gun control. This administration has shown so far that that's the way it intends to govern through executive order. When we look at it, Joe Biden has signed, President Biden has signed over 40 executive orders in what, 15 days? You know, you compare that with President Obama's first nine days and he signed about five. President Trump signed about four or vice versa. One of them signed five, one of them signed four. Joe Biden has signed over 40 executive orders at this point. And I think that shows that he's not confident he's going to be able to get things through Congress. Because remember, in Congress, it's not like Democrats have this huge majority. They have a very small majority in the House, even though it goes by majority rule in the House, it's still a small majority. So if moderate Democrats and blue dog Democrats begin peeling off because of extreme measures like H.R. 127, and then you go to the Senate, and you have the same problem there because it's 50-50. So all Republicans have to do is grab Joe Manchin and, you know, or maybe one other ones, uh, one other center, and that's it. So Joe Biden realizes that he, well, his handlers realize, he doesn't realize, his handlers realize that there's not a lot that's going to be able to get done legislatively. He'll probably be able to get one big thing through Congress, and I don't anticipate it's going to be gun control. 
but I am very concerned about what they're going to do in regards to guns by executive order. And then don't forget, during the Democrat primary, there were candidates, including Kamala Harris, that said that she would declare a national emergency as it pertained to guns. And that may be a backdoor way to try and get at the guns. So so as you're saying, it's not necessarily 127 itself. It's it's Biden and this administration's use of executive orders and that potentiality for Kamala Harris to do that, which may be the impetus to get the guns. Absolutely. So so I the reason I ask that is because I'm seeing people poach 127 is the beginning of them taking the guns and I who better to ask than a, a political scientist? Well, they also say HR1 is going to destroy elections, too, and that HR1 is going to federalize elections. I don't see HR1 getting passed at all. And that's the thing. So if I'm a Republican, I'm advising Republicans, I say, be careful what you pick and choose, your outrage. You, you know, you can't get outraged over every bill because what happens is people become tone deaf to it at that point. Mm. So you have to be careful and pick and choose what battles you're going to fight. Right now, the biggest battle to fight is the executive orders, because if he's doing everything through executive order, well, what's the point of Congress? Because I recall when I read the Constitution, Article 1, Section 1, it says all legislative power is vested in the House of Representatives and the Senate. Didn't say it's vested in the executive branch. And yet he's using executive orders to modify, manipulate, change, create all these different laws. And not, like I said, most of them, do not benefit us in any sort of way, any sort of way. So, so, and, and I may be going backwards a little bit, but I, I definitely want your take on, on this censorship thing really quickly, because it all kind of ties in together with this administration. Do you think they're going to be tough on uh big tech and, and, and the media and going after section two thirty? And do you think that push will continue or do you think that, okay, well, no, it's definitely not going to continue. I mean, listen, they're all in bed together. I call it the unholy alliance. That's what I've now coined it. Because you have big tech, you have the Democrats, you have the far left, you have never Trumpers, you have the military industrial complex, you have the giant corporations, you have the media that have all come together in order to push an agenda, in order to destroy the idea of America first, in order to destroy the idea of President Trump and his movement. They've joined this unholy alliance. Now, their end results are all different. They all, all have different stages. But there's this huge misconception. There's this misconception that the left hates the corporations, that the left despises corporate America. They don't. They're one and the same. And we need to start recognizing that. You know, the, the main beneficiary of a socialist country would be big tech because they would be the ones contracted to do the mass, massive surveillance state in order for it to exist. So they're all one and the same. I see no activity on the part of this administration. And if you look up at, at the makeup of some of his advisors, some of his officials, they come from Google, they come from Facebook, they sit on the boards of those companies, they come from Twitter. So they come from all these big tech companies and that creates the problem. As far as conservatives going after the big tech giants, I think one of the arguments, everyone makes the argument about Section 230. I think that's a flawed argument because Congress is never doing anything in regards to 230. If you look at the money Congress receives from big tech, if you look at that pipeline of cash, they're not doing anything to them. So what would be better is if we could get one of these conservative organizations, we get, we, you know, find 
one of them that takes the case to court. See, Facebook, Twitter, all these companies, they build themselves as the, the community square where people could get together and they could discuss issues and they could debate and they could dialogue. That's what they say they are. Well, if I go to my community square, if I go to a public town hall, I could say what I want. The First Amendment applies and the First Amendment has to be enforced on those properties. So if Facebook and Twitter and all them are billing themselves as the community square, well, they're the virtual community square. So we should be able to have First Amendment rights on their platforms. You know, conservatives will say they're private entities. Yeah, they, the, they're private companies that are the ones that manage these platforms. But if they're billing themselves as community squares, well, then the First Amendment should exist. It's virtual town halls. That's what it is. That's what Facebook and Twitter, and if they don't like that, well, then stop selling my damn information and making money off of me. You know, and I think that's the better way. Take it to the courts and challenge it in the courts because I can't stand the argument. Well, if you don't like it, start your own conservative social media thing. Well, guess what? We tried that. It didn't work. They shut down Paula. And yeah, good, good luck with that. Good luck with that. And and uh, the, the sister Priscilla asked, can we challenge the executive orders? And one of the things I was going to ask you along the lines with that is, I don't know if you've seen that, uh, I believe it's South Dakota is is trying to fight back, if I'm not mistaken, against this uh, uh, pipeline thing that he got going on. Well, you have South Dakota's fighting the pipeline thing. You have Texas uh, Attorney General Paxton's fighting the immigration executive orders. So this is where the states controlled by Republicans and that have Republican attorney generals are going to be really important. You know, remember when President Trump came into office, California, New York, they were constantly suing the administration. Well, now you're going to see the same thing in reverse. And the Republican states are going to start suing this administration for their policies. In fact, one of the policies in regards to uh, the, the whole idea of removals and deportations, uh, a judge actually struck down the Biden administration's executive order on that. Now, we'll go to the Supreme Court ultimately, but the, the Republican attorney generals throughout this country, they're like almost the last line of defense because we know Congress isn't going to challenge this president. We know that. So it's really going to be up to the Republican states to be able to do it, to just at least hold the line and maintain for the next two years. Right. So I, so in, in sister Priscilla, I guess to, to give you a short answer, um, yes, the executive orders can be challenged and they actually are uh, being challenged. Now I, from, from what I, the professor just said, it sounds like the state attorney generals uh, have to engage in that and we can put pressure on them, call their offices, call every like i tell people you got to call you got to get on the phone you have to show up to your city council meetings you have to get involved you have to like there's no other way other than to be i mean if you're gonna pester amazon for not getting a delivery to you on time you should really be pestering you know these people aware i just i it's just weird how i see people where i see people put their energy at it just, it's just absolutely strange to me well people um, have taken a hands-off approach and that's part of the reason we're in this mess in the first place no absolutely um the the, the other thing like i said i, I kind of wanted to talk about was economics here so looking at his cabinet and looking at the policies that like how far left do you think this is going to go from from your perspective like for the next three and a half years like how far left do you actually think we're going to get 
That's really hard to say. Right now, the Democrats are lucky because they're still united around their hatred of President Trump. However, after this week, the impeachment's over. They're not going to have President Trump anymore to coalesce around. And so the infighting will start in the Democrat Party. Who wins that infighting? I can't tell you. I can't begin to predict. I would say that, you know, as much as uh, I I mock and make fun of someone like a congresswoman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she is someone that yields a lot of power in the Democrat Party. She's got a huge following. She has enormous influence and she's extraordinarily ambitious. And that's a dangerous combination. So we see the left already trying to get out in front of the President Biden administration to try and force him to go to the left. As far as legislatively, whether it's going to be the far left that wins out, I'm not really sure because the far left is not the majority. Listen, this country is still center right. I don't care what anyone says. We are still center right country. What concerns me is our economic situation. I don't think we recognize the impacts of coronavirus yet. I think that the right now it's a house of cards and I'm waiting for it to collapse because sooner or later you can't just keep pumping money into the system and keep people out of work. That's not the way it's really going to work. And it creates a lot of problems. And we know that there's this massive unemployment that we have that really hasn't come out to light yet. You know, when they break down the unemployment numbers, understand that if people are done collecting unemployment, they're not counted in those numbers. So I just have a feeling that the economy is in far worse shape than we actually realize it. And I think that sooner or later, we're gonna start to see the effects. And I think we are starting to see the effects. I know in my area, I'm driving up the road, I'm seeing far more storefronts out of business compared to just a few months ago. I mean, if you remember President Trump's administration prior to the coronavirus, there were help wanted signs everywhere. Now I'm seeing storefronts empty. It's going to be devastating. And what's happening is we're gutting the middle class. We're gutting the small business owners. And once again, we have to recognize that there is a a reason that that is happening. Part of the reason that that's happening is because the left doesn't mind the corporations. We have to open our eyes to recognize, you know, Bernie Sanders, he may rail against the corporations every now and then, but they don't believe half the stuff they're talking about. They also know it's a lot more difficult to try and get rid of every small business through socialism. It's much easier just to have a couple of companies that dominate when it comes to socialism. And, And that's what people aren't realizing. So I'm really concerned about the economy. I don't think we've seen the full effects of the coronavirus. And this administration just shows that they have no regard, not that the Republicans did much better when it came to debt and stimulus packages or anything like that. So I'm not praising Republicans here because they spent money like idiots too. Uh, But now it's going to be like spending money on steroids and there's going to be no discussion of trying to cut in other areas to pay for these types of things. So, so we're saying economically, um, and and I appreciate you, you, your honesty with that because I don't know either how far left this is going to go. I don't know how scared to be, in other words, right? I'm, I'm pretty worried. I, but I I have people that are worried, worried. Like they, they, they're stocking up on water and canned vegetables, worried, like worried like that. And I'm like, I don't know if it's that. I don't know if we're there yet. You might have another year and a half before we kind of have that problem, if that. Um, the, the, the other thing too with this is, is, trying to get people more engaged in politics, right? Uh, people seem overwhelmed by the, the large amounts of things you have, the information you have to kind of go through to get a good understanding of what's happened politically. How do you 
suggest somebody start to do that? Like, what's a good tool that you could teach someone to, to start to really understand what's happening? Because it's a lot of things. Like, I, I start talking constitutional. Then you got to, you know, when we talk about political science, there's so many things connected to it. Just get your information is, from the Urban Conservative and the PAS report and you'll be good. <laughs> yeah, that, that, perfect. No, that's great. That's great. It is. But when we're looking at it, when, when people are sitting there and they're asking, you know, first of all, be careful on social media because there are a lot of phonies out there. There are a lot of fakes out there. There are a lot of people that are lying. I mean, I was talking about Title 13, U.S. Code 15, I believe it was, Title 3, U.S. Code 15, when it came to the election. And I was warning my audience, don't listen to people, that it, it's not that you could object and just easily overturn the, the results of the election. It doesn't work that way. And then I'm getting people telling me I'm wrong, that I'm reading the statute wrong. And I'm like, I've been doing this for a long time. I know how to read the Constitution. I know how to read the statutes. I know how to read the amendments. And of course, I was right. Uh, so be careful with those people that think that they're, they're the geniuses in the subject field. Always be careful with people posting on social media. And it is difficult because it's information overload in this day and age. That's what we see. Read the Declaration of Independence. That tells us the American philosophy. That gives us the tenets of the American creed. Focus on the first two paragraphs and the last paragraph. Those are the most important paragraphs within the entire declaration. It's only four pages, the whole declaration. Read the United States Constitution. I believe I have faith that the people are smart enough to come to their own conclusions when they read this, these documents. Um, then when it gets into statutory law, that's where it does get complicated. When it gets into legislation, that's where it does get complicated. But I am not one of those doom and gloom people. America has faced challenging times before. I was giving a speech last night, actually, and someone said, well, this is like the worst we've ever seen it in our history. And I'm like, you have to understand, we always have a nostalgic view of the past, like everything was just perfect in the past, that everything just flowed and everything was smooth and our politicians were much more dignified in the past. That is not true. You do realize there were politicians that died in duels in this country. A, a senator in the 1880s, I believe it was, was almost beaten to death on the Senate floor. I would say this country was much more fractured when we went into the Civil War. If we look at the 1930s, we faced enormous challenges. When we look at the 60s and 70s, we saw enormous racial tensions, enormous challenges there, and we overcame them all. So I'm not ready to sit there and say that the end is near and we're going to be a socialist country. I, I don't believe that to be the case. I do think that a course correction is coming, that we will right the ship. What we have to figure out a way is to get around social media. And when I say get around social media, I don't mean stop using it. I'm not surrendering social media to the left. I'm on social media not to speak to conservatives that already agree with me and support me. That's not why I'm there. I'm there to reach people that may not be so political, that do want the just information that they can make their own decision. I'm there to reach moderate Democrats and blue dog Democrats. I know I'm not going to change the mind of a hardcore liberal, but I can change the mind of people with rational discussion. So I'm not going to surrender these platforms, but it's the way we engage and both the left and the right are guilty of it. I've seen some of the most hateful posts that you could possibly see. And it's not like anyone's really debating the issues. All they do is by like the second comment, it's I hope you effing die. And then the person responds, well, I hope you die and your family dies too. And it's this back and forth. When you immediately come out of the gate and start insulting the other person, you're not going to change that person's mind, no matter what you're throwing at them, no matter what facts you're throwing at them. 
And so if you really want to engage with people, try not to do it on social media. Try to do it in person with family and friends and change them first. Talk to them first. And don't dictate what they should believe. You know, I always said that the second you start dictating someone, it's almost like we go into our defensive posture and we feel like we're being attacked. Instead, question them. So Raheem and I are from New York. New York is a horrible, horrible state. Well, it's a good state with horrible, horrible leadership that's destroying this state. So when I'm speaking to a Democrat, I'll simply ask them questions. You know, do you like the condition that New York's in? What do you think about the amount of property taxes you're paying? How do you like all those, you know, stupid red light camera things? See that right there? My nice little red light ticket. Do you think the officials are doing their jobs? And if you start asking questions of Democrats, the, the answers are, are common. Nobody says that, oh, New York's great. They all say it's in bad shape. How do you like driving on the roadways? Do you like hitting those massive craters and getting flat tires? And, and everyone's going to sit there and say, no, I don't like that. I, I don't like the property taxes I'm playing. I'm not satisfied that the schools are only going two days a week virtually. When you start to ask questions and they're giving you those answers, it triggers something in their mind. Hey, wait a minute. I'm voting for the people that are putting in these policies. And, and they start to realize it on their own. And that's the best way to change people's minds because you say, oh, I can't believe how much this state has changed since Democrats have a unified government and Republicans have no power. And it starts to click that, hey, maybe I might be a Democrat. I might have been a lifelong Democrat, but I am really unhappy with the politicians. We do need a change in New York. And maybe I never considered myself a Republican, but maybe it's time I give Republicans a shot. Now, if I immediately went to someone and said, you got to vote Republican, that you have to follow all these Republicans' ideals, are they going to sit there and say, okay? And the answer is no. Let them realize it by just asking them questions about whether they like the policies because they're going to say, no, they don't like the policies. Yeah, right. That's, that's, yeah. yeah, I couldn't have said it better. So uh, uh, kind of closing up here, there was something else um, that I, I wanted to get your take on. You had recently did a show about this and again everybody go check out the pas report um and i and i i received a couple of messages from people that were really concerned uh about this and i'll use the term hyper targeting of conservatives right uh by by big tech the censoring of conservatives right so who would you classify or who is being classified rather as these domestic terrorists does like the guy with the conservative group on facebook have to worry about the the, the you know the the feds coming to, to lock them up because they have a conservative platform or something like that so who are these domestic terrorists that then you will be going to the gulags yeah. <laughs> what i'm concerned about is anyone and everyone's pretty much domestic terrorist because it hasn't been defined for us you know we're constantly hearing this term domestic enemy and yet not one single person in the media asked, well, who are these domestic enemies? You know, and, and I, in the episode, I brought up the Italian mob. When the FBI was going against the Italian mob in New York State, they released the names of the five families. They released all the positions, who's the boss, the, the capo, the underboss, the soldiers, the consigliere. And we knew everything about these organizations. For God's sakes, they were making movies about these organizations. When you look at uh, terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, we know everything there is to know about these organizations. We get organizational charts, and, and there's dozens of Middle Eastern terrorist organizations that we know an extraordinary amount about. We know who the leaders are. We know who the backup leaders are. We, we know what their positions are. 
But yet, when it comes to domestic terrorists, I mean, we, we've been told that we, we are on high alert, that we got to worry about a domestic terror attack from all these domestic enemies. And not one group has been named. Not one of them has been named. Here's the group. Here's who runs that group. Here's the organizational structure. Here's the command and control of that organization. And so when we say who are the domestic enemies, the answer is it could be anyone. We just don't know. And that's what concerns me because I know how bureaucrats can abuse the power, but it concerns me more when I look at what Congress and the media are saying. So you had Speaker Pelosi last week come out saying that the congressional Republicans, not just ordinary Republicans, congressional Republicans are the enemy within. And then you had uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who stated that the core of the congressional Republicans, that the core of their party are white supremacist sympathizers. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to label that anyone who disagrees with them is a domestic enemy. Anyone who disagrees with them is a white supremacist or a white supremacist sympathizer, which is just as bad. Because if you're a white supremacist sympathizer, well, you're a racist, you hate people, and you're evil. I mean, if you look at those that support, were sympathetic to Al-Qaeda's plot, like, those weren't good people. I would constantly criticize them. And the same thing holds true white supremacist sympathizers. They should be criticized. But what Democrats are trying to do is they're trying to basically call half the country this. And they're doing it to marginalize them. They're doing it to silence them. They're doing it for the most nefarious and dangerous reason of all. It's because they want power. That's what they want. And so it's a dark road if we keep going down this way. Because my fear is someone who knows Homeland Security. I've been in it. I understand it. I understand terror organizations. People already feel their voices aren't being heard. Now is the time it's, it, where you could find people and try and radicalize them. And I think that with all this rhetoric, we're creating the next Timothy McVeigh. Look at the word they're using. Insurrection on January 6th. Insurrection. That was not an insurrection. It was a bunch of nitwit idiots that stormed the Capitol building in a riot, com had you know committed anarchy, and they're going to get prosecuted and punished for it. When we talk about insurrection, an insurrection is real armed people with firearms that can match what the military and the police have, and they're doing a sustained attack on government buildings. That's an insurrection. So they're using all this harsh rhetoric. And the irony of the whole thing is we're going through an impeachment this week because of President Trump's rhetoric. Yet here we have sitting members of Congress calling their counterparts domestic enemies. Now, our system's based on compromise. How can you compromise with domestic enemies? Well, you can't. You have to destroy enemies. You have to destroy evil. And that's the concerning part. Where does this all go? And the idiots that want to follow it and start labeling people domestic enemies on the left, understand that sooner or later they'll turn on you and you're going to become the domestic enemy. You know, I constantly criticize government. It's my job. to It's our civic duty to criticize government and ask questions. So because I question government, am I going to be labeled a domestic enemy? But for people, it's designed, they're doing it to scare people. They want people to be silent. If you get declared a domestic enemy, are you going to still have your job at the end of the day? Are your friends still going to talk to you? What about your spouse? Are they going to stay with you? What are your kids going to think about you? And so let's put so much fear that if anyone says anything, they're going to be labeled a domestic enemy. Well, nobody's going to say anything. So it's designed to control thought and speech. That's what it's designed to do. Keep people from speaking up. And 
if it's just one or two people that are speaking up, if it's just you and me speaking up, they could easily squash us like a bug. But if everyone speaks up, if 75 million Americans are speaking up, they can't silence us all. And that's the thing. Don't ever be intimidated. Don't be scared to say what's on your mind. Use common sense. Use good judgment. Treat people with respect. Make sure your arguments are solid and don't sit there and name call and say what you want. That's the beauty of this country. We lose freedom of speech and freedom of thought. It's game over in this country. It doesn't exist. Understand, these are the foundations of the country. The First and Second Amendment are the foundation. If we start destroying the foundation, everything else collapses. And so we better be damn careful of the road that we're headed down. Yeah, well, that that's almost like the end of the show right there. I don't think <laughs> it's much more with, to talk about when you when you end it like that. The 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 other thing, kind of like I said on the tail end of this, was is just simple though. Uh, I was gonna ask about the impeachment, but you just really put kind of the nail in 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 the conversation. And um, I, I appreciate you for coming on. I, but just just let me know what do you think? Where, where's this impeachment going? Is this gonna go through? Because that's another question that I'm being asked a lot, and I'm saying. It, it shouldn't, but I can't, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a constitutional uh, legal authority to answer the question, but I'm saying it shouldn't. It well, shouldn't. it is unconstitutional. I'll tell you, Article 1, Section 3 clearly states that the president can be impeached by a jury of senators and then removed from office and then barred from ever serving in office again. Well, if the president is not in office, you can't remove him from office. Therefore, you can't have a trial if he's not in office and you can't remove him. So I think it's unconstitutional in that way. But I think the whole thing's a charade. First of all, we know how it ends. We, we know that there's not going to be 17 Republicans joining Democrats voting to convict the president of the, the former president of the United States. We know that. So it's just a game that's being played. And Democrats now weaponized impeachment twice for the political process. They've weaponized it. They have dropped the impeachment bar so low that my fear is we're going to see this tit for tat. Every single president going forward is going to be impeached at some point in their administration. So every single president better pay attention to that and better be prepared for that because of how Democrats abuse this process. So so, so, so real quick, I, I what I put out was that, you know, Ali and I, we had this discussion that I'm thinking that the 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 impeachments were really there to to distract everyone from Biden like they were there to benefit Biden those these impeachments don't really do anything else other than benefit Biden well I, I think that the impeachments were being done for three reasons I, I think the first reason is because there are Democrats that know once you don't have Trump to beat up on well now the party's going to start fighting with itself so they want to try and keep the party as united as possible for as long a period of time as possible but sooner or later, that's going to come to an end. The second reason I think they want to impeach Trump is because they have absolute vitriol and hatred for the man. Like they, they hate drives them and he's like lives in their heads and they despise the man. So not only do they want wanted him out of office, not only do they want to debar him, they want to embarrass him. They want to thoroughly humiliate him in every possible way they can. And I think it's very vindictive, very spiteful. How, um, how much of that do you think is the American politicians and how much of that is coming from China indirectly? I think it's actually a lot more of the American politicians than anything else. 
I, I think when you look at what some of these people say on the news media each and every day, what some of these politicians, what congressmen and women say about President Trump, the way they speak about President Trump supporters, you could actually see the hatred that they have, not not only for him, but really for his supporters, because they're, we're the ones- like we're not human. It's well, we're like the ones that they really hate. We're not human. I mean, you know, and that's the thing. They look at you, they, first of all, they think they're moral holy warriors, and they like to preach to everyone. And, you know, it, the language and the terminology they use is scary. Cleansing, deprogramming, purging Trump supporters. I mean, that's some scary stuff when you're using that type of language. So it, it's a real problem. And I think the third thing with the impeachment was, you're right, it is a distraction from the President Biden administration. The guy comes out like almost like clockwork, like, like once a day, he'll come out, he'll say a few words, sign a few executive orders, and then go back into hiding. It's like they know it's right after nap time. That's when they'll get him out there, put him in front of the cameras, and then bring him back in. It's almost like his campaign almost all over again, where he's hiding in the basement of the White House, in a sense, and they won't let him out of their basement, except for that one hour a day. Um, so it is concerning. But I think, you know, the, this impeachment's going nowhere. All right, nowhere. good. All right, so real quick, last, last question, real quick. Kaylee McEnany versus Jen Psaki, who do you got? Oh, McEnany by a mile. Okay, cool. I just I just figured I'd throw it out. I, I was going to break your chops. So I was going to be like, I'll circle back with you. but <laughs> That would have been perfect. Well, it, it works. It works. Yo, once again, we've been talking with Professor Nicholas Giordano, host of the PAS Report. Go ahead, drop all the links, drop all the good stuff for them. Let them know where they can check out the, uh, the oh. podcast and the website. You go PASReport.com, at PASReport on Twitter. I now have a Telegram channel, at PASReport. So you can connect with me anywhere or just type my name in a search engine. I pop up all over the place. And the urban conservative will be coming to the PAS report soon. Absolutely. Yep. So we appreciate you for coming on, ladies and gentlemen. Please do us a favor, www.tuconservative.com if you want to support the podcast. Uh, the 16th, we got Back to Blue North Carolina coming, Back to Blue NC coming on. Um, and we have some other stuff coming up on, on the website. So stay tuned to the PAS report. Stay tuned to the Urban Conservative. Once again, Professor Giordano, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Appreciate you taking the time to come on the platform. Um, we're going to be on his joint, so stay tuned. And, um, and we'll have you back on, of course. Um, any, any developments, anything going on? Uh, appreciate you for coming on, my brother. Thanks again. Sounds good. Glad to be here. Thank right. you. We'll talk soon. Peace and love.